Hello everyone, welcome to our broadcast today. I'm Jerry Savell, and as you can tell, I'm still in downtown Fort Worth, Texas. We're at the Kenneth Copeland Southwest Believers Convention, and I have been privileged to preach in each and every one of these conventions for 40 years now, and boy, we are having a great convention this year. People have come from all over the world. People are watching from all over the world. I think they said there's probably over 180 nations that have logged in watching this convention, and it's been powerful. Today, I'm going to take you into the service where I was preaching on the subject of how to stay connected to God, your provider. It's a powerful message. This is part two, and I want to encourage you to watch very closely. Take notes if at all possible, and just remember that God cares about you. He cares about every minute detail in your life, and He wants to be your provider. He wants to supply every need. So watch now and learn how you can stay connected to God the Provider. And in a few moments, I'll be back with some closing remarks. Now go to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. Hallelujah. And look at verse 41. Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They remembered not his hand, nor the day when he delivered them from their enemy. Now, I would strongly suggest if you haven't done so, read that entire 78th Psalm because it's like a synopsis of what God had already done starting with delivering them out of the bondage of Egypt and bringing it up to current day. And if you'll study it closely, you'll notice how they limited God. Three primary ways they limited God. If you're taking notes, write it down. Number one, small thinking. Number two, negative talking. And then number three, forgetting what he'd already done for them. Small thinking, negative talking, and forgetting what he'd already done for them in the past. You know, a lot of Christians today, they spend more time thinking on what they need than thinking on what God's already done. And my attitude is, if God's done it before, he can do it again. See, that's, that's what David did when he faced Goliath. What did he do? He said, this uncircumcised Philistine will be no different than the lion and the bear. And God delivered them into my hands. What's he doing? He's remembering what God did in the past and therefore it helped him to stay focused on what he can do right now. If he's delivered me before, he can deliver me again. If God's ever gotten you $10 miraculous, he can get you a hundred. If he's gotten you a hundred, he can get you a thousand. If he's got you a thousand, he can get you a hundred thousand. As far as God's concerned, it's just a little more zeros on the end of it. How many of you know God's a big thinker? <laughs> Amen. Notice, if you will, in verse 19. Yea, they spake against God. They said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. And then they said, and can he give bread also? 
And can he provide flesh for his people? No matter how many times God proved to them that he was El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one, the God in whom nothing was impossible. The next time they faced an impossible-looking situation, they started asking again, but can he do this? And can he do that? And God would do it. And then they'd say, well, but yeah, but can he do this? See, that's small thinking. That's negative talking. That's forgetting what he's already done. And that will cause you to limit him. Isn't it amazing that an unlimited God can be limited by his own people? Look at your neighbor and point at him and say, now stop doing that. Right now, stop it. <laughs> Amen. Why would we want to limit God? We can't break heaven. <laughs> My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Amen. He's unlimited. Now, go to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And you're all familiar with this story about blind Bartimaeus. But I want to point out something here. Verse 46, and they came to Jericho and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried the more a great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man saying unto him, be of good cheer, rise, he calleth thee. And he casting away his garment rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, now notice the question that Jesus is about to ask him. I believe it's the same question that he's asking me and you today. After all, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What will thou that I should do unto thee? Now, the message translation just simply says, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? That's his attitude. What can I do for you? A lot of people think it's, it's wrong to approach God with a want or a desire. You know, God may, some people say, God may meet your need, but he don't want to talk to you about wants and desires. That's wrong to ask him for anything you want or desire. Well, my Bible says, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Amen. Amen. What things soever you desire. He didn't say what things soever you need, what things soever you desire. You know, I, I, I come from a, uh, a background of automotive business. My dad was in the automotive business. My dad uh, raced automobiles. He built hot rods. He restored classic automobiles. He began to teach me that when I was nine years old. That's all I ever wanted to do. 
And, and I love being with my dad. My dad was not only my father, but he was my best friend. And, and he, he loved doing everything I loved doing. And uh, so I grew up on racetracks, grew up around cars, and, and my dad had been trained by General Motors in 1953 to become a Corvette specialist the year they came out. They were made out of fiberglass and not many body men back in those days knew how to work fiberglass. So my dad was sent to Detroit and, and, uh, and learned to work on Corvettes. And when he came back home, the Chevrolet dealership he worked for in Shreveport, Louisiana, it was called Howard Crumley Chevrolet. That was the man that owned the place. Mr. Crumley sent a brand new 53 Corvette home with my dad and told him, wreck it and repair it. Tear it apart and rebuild it. And I remember the first day I came home from school with that 53 Corvette sitting in my daddy's garage, I was captivated. Oh, that was a pretty little car. And uh, I walked in my dad's garage and I said, Dad, who owns this? He said, well, it belongs to the Mr. Crumley, but uh, uh, my job is to tear it apart and rebuild it. Dad would actually go run it into a tree <laughs> and bring it back. And it's fiberglass. It don't bend, it shatters. And he'd have to go pick up all the pieces and bring it back and rebuild it. Dad became a Corvette specialist. In 1953, 1954, and early 55, if somebody bought a Corvette in North Louisiana, uh, East Texas, uh, southern part of Arkansas, East Mississippi, and they wrecked it, more than likely my dad was the man who repaired it. So I fell in love with Corvettes from day one. I told my dad, as soon as I get big enough, this is what I'm going to drive. <laughs> and every year when the new Corvettes would come out, Mr. Crumley knew how much I loved Corvettes, and he would tell my dad, bring Jerry, uh, there's the, the new Corvette has come out, and I want him to come up and sit in it. And he'd have one in the showroom. And he'd take me into the showroom. i never will forget when the 57 Corvette came out. He had a beautiful 57 Corvette, black with red interior. And oh, it was beautiful. I thought it was the most beautiful car I'd ever seen in my life. And he put me up in the driver's seat. And he, I couldn't even see over the steering wheel, and <laughs> barely. And he sat on the right side. And he said, Jerry, can you see yourself owning one of these someday? I said, yes, sir, I can. I said, I'm going to have one just like this. And, you know, and he agreed with me, you know, basically, and said, I believe you will have one one day. And so, you know, as soon as I got big enough and old enough, my first Corvette I got when I was 16, and it was a 58 model. And uh, I've been driving Corvettes ever since. Now, one of my favorite ones was a 67 427 four-speed Roadster. And I had one. It was painted a canary yellow. That was the last car I had when I... Uh, left my paint and body shop business to go into the ministry. Oh, I love that car. 
Now, you don't understand. I love that car. It was fast. Oh, it was, it was fast. Had side pipes. It sounded like a car out of sound. It, it sounded like the concrete was going to crack just idling it. Oh, I like that car. And of course, I got rid of it and, and went into the ministry. And, and, uh, but every year when I'd have a birthday, my wife would say, what would you like for your birthday? I'd say a 67, 427 big block Corvette. She'd say, they're too expensive. I'm not getting you that. <laughs> We'd come up to anniversary, July. What do you want for your anniversary? 67 big block Corvette, 427 four speed. I'm not getting you that. It got to where she'd ask me every year, anniversary, Christmas, birthday. And I just got to where I wouldn't even answer anymore. I'd just go like this. <laughs> you know, she said, I'm not getting you that 67 Corvette. And so when my grandfather in Mississippi died, he left the farm to my grandmother. My grandmother died and she left the farm to my dad. And when my dad died, you know, it was left to me and my sister. And uh, so I, I hadn't been on that farm in years. It's in Vicksburg, Mississippi. And by this time, most of the land had been sold off and it was just a small amount of land. But the old house where I grew up was still there. The old barn was still there. And uh, so I, I decided to go over there and just spend the day and pray about what I wanted to do with that place. And so I got over there and I started walking the, the farm. And boy... I had so many fond memories. I thought, I don't know if I can sell this place. Man, this is where my grandpa taught me to hunt. This is where he had a pond back there. We used to go fishing all the time. The old barn was still there and his old tractor was still sitting in the barn. And every, every place I'd walk, it brought back fond memories. Now we had moved to Shreveport, Louisiana, but I spent my summers on the farm with my grandparents. And, and I spent the day walking that place and I thought, I don't know if I can sell this or not. So I spent the night at a hotel and the next morning I went back out there. I walked around and I said, Lord, I know I don't need to keep this place. It's more than likely I'll never get back over here. I think I'll just go ahead and sell it. So I got in my truck and I, I was going to go to a realtor's office and put it up for sale. Now, the day before, I had gone to the courthouse and found out what the appraisal was on it. And once again, when I was a kid, we had 70 acres, but now it was dwindled down to about, I don't know, 12 or 15, something like that. And uh, so I went to see what the appraisal on it was. And it, it wasn't really worth that much. The old house my grandfather had built way back in the early 50s, you know, and it just wasn't worth that much. Still out in the country. And so I thought, well, I don't have to sell. I'm not forced to sell. I'm going to put it on the market and I'm going to ask three times what the appraisal was. If it sells, fine. If it doesn't, no problem. I'll just hang on to it, you know. 
So I get in my truck and I'm about to back out to go to the real estate office and there's a truck behind me. I didn't see it come up. They pulled up and when I looked in the rear view mirror, there's a truck behind me. And uh, I looked in, the, in my rear view mirror and there's a man and a woman. The man's getting out of his truck. He said, are you Mr. Savelle? I said, yes, I am. He said, well, uh, one of your neighbors here called us and said, I think Mr. Savelle is here because somebody's been walking around the property for the last couple of days and it may be him. And he said, I didn't know how to get a hold of you. Uh, I, I knew you didn't live here in Vicksburg, but I didn't know how to get a hold of you. And he said, we want to buy this land. I said, well, uh, I was just getting ready to go to the real estate office to put it on the market. He said, uh, well, what do you want for it? I gave him that three times what it was worth value, uh, amount. He said, we'll take it. I said, okay, well, let's go to the real estate office. You have an attorney here that you use? Yeah. And I told him what real estate office I was going to. He said, my, real, my attorney is, is right there near that. I said, okay, let's go to the attorney's office, draw up a contract and so forth. And uh, I got in my truck. He got in his. And then he got out and come up and knocked on my window before we could get out of there. He said, uh, would you be interested in a trade for equal value? of this place? I said, well, I don't know. I really thought about selling it, but what are you talking about? He said, I have a 67 427 Corvette, four speed, numbers match. I said, let's go look at your 67 427 Corvette. We went out to the place where he lived and you'd have thought this man was my long lost brother. His shop looked just like mine. He had Harleys in there. He had, he had classic Corvettes in there. I, you would have thought he and I were brothers. His shop was just as clean as mine, just as organized as mine. And he had a cover on this 67 Corvette. When he pulled that cover off, the first thing I saw was that black stinger on the hood. I said, oh yes, this is God, hallelujah. <laughs> this is God. I said, start it up. He's, oh, dear Jesus, it sounded just like the one I had when I had the paint and body shop. And he said, now, I've been told you're a classic car guy and you know what this is worth. I said, oh, yes, it's worth more than that property. He said, well, I'll trade it to you equal if you'll accept the trade. I said, as the Pope Catholic, let's go do business. Hallelujah. <laughs> People think I make these stories up. No, I don't. Go ahead and touch me. I have the favor of God. It'll get all over you, praise God. Amen. I'm talking about every dream I had, God has brought it to pass and even bigger and better. Now, if God will fulfill your dreams and God will bless you with your desires, What's that to say about your needs? My God shall supply all your need. Look at your neighbor and say, my God is the all-sufficient God. My God is the God who is more than enough. Now notice what Jesus asked Barnabas. 
What will thou that I should do unto thee? What would you say to Jesus right now if he was standing here in the flesh right in front of you and asking you, what would you like for me to do? Would you limit him? Would you say, well, Lord, I don't really need much. Shut up. <laughs> don't tell him what you need. Tell him what you want. Tell him what you desire. Jesus on the main line. Tell him what you want. Hallelujah. Amen. What do you want me to do for you? Now in John chapter 14, verse 14, if ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Everybody say anything. Hallelujah. All he requires is this, and it's found in Matthew 9, 28. Believe ye that I'm able to do this. What do you want me to do? Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. And all he wants to know out of you is, do you believe I'm able to do it? There was a man came to him one time and said, uh, if you will, you can heal me and so forth. Jesus said immediately, I will. See, the man didn't doubt Jesus' ability, but he doubted his willingness to do it. And Jesus, as Brother Copeland used to say, straightened out his theology with two words, I will. I can and I will. So if Jesus were standing right in front of you right now and asking you, what can I do for you? Ask anything in my name and I will do it. He would follow up with, do you or believe ye that I'm able to do this? Or as the message translation says, do you really believe I can do it? Do you really believe I can do it? Well, if he is El Shaddai, if he's the all-sufficient one, if he's the God that's more than enough, then that's a simple question to answer. Yes, I believe you can. And yes, I believe you will. Can you say amen? How many of you believe Jesus can? And how many of you believe he will? Hallelujah. Well, lift both hands and just give him some praise. Hallelujah. Don't limit him. Don't limit him. Now, let me go to 2 Kings really quick. 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning in verse 1 there, there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elijah, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that my, thy servant uh, and fear the Lord, did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elijah said unto her, What shall I do for thee? That sounds just like Jesus. What can I do for you? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaiden hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Then he said, go borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors. Now, notice it goes on to say, even empty vessels, but notice the last part of that verse. Borrow not a few. 
borrow not a few. See, he's God's representative. He's the prophet of God. And he is speaking in God's behalf. And it appears that God's attitude about this is, I won't only just, I won't only just meet your need. I'll give you overflow. More than enough. I'm El Shaddai. I'm the God who is more than sufficient. Don't borrow just a few. Now see, if you have this uh, limited mentality, you might just go borrow a few. But he said specifically, don't borrow just a few. In other words, as long as you have an empty vessel, the oil will keep flowing. And it did, did it not? If you keep reading the story, it did. And then it says uh, in verse seven, then she came and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil. It just kept multiplying. Go sell the oil until she ran out of vessels. Go sell the oil, pay thy debt and live thou and thy children of the rest. Notice there was not just enough to pay the debt. That'd been wonderful. She wouldn't lose her two sons, but he didn't just pay the debt. He said, now live on the rest. Why? Because that's the nature of God. He can't help himself. He's the God that does exceeding abundant above all that we can ask or think how to do it. Do you need God to meet your financial needs? Have you ever wondered how to convince God to bless you? Today's special offer contains Jerry Savelle's prophetic book, Principles of Supernatural Increase, and his three CD series, Increase God's Way. In this revealing special package, Dr. Jerry Savelle clearly sets forth the biblical principles of supernatural increase, including your covenant right to increase, how God moves supernaturally, and common deceptions that bring poverty and defeat. God desires that you move to a higher level in every area of your life, spiritually, financially, professionally, and socially. You don't have to convince God to bless you. It's already His plan. Don't delay. Call or go online now to jerrysavelle.org and request your copy of the Supernatural Increase Special Package. Embracing these principles on a consistent basis, you'll soon experience supernatural increase as never before. Thank you for joining me today, and I trust the message has been an inspiration to you, and I just want to encourage you, stay connected to God, your provider. God is so wonderful. He's so good. He's been taking good care of me for 51 years now. This is my 51st year in the ministry, and God has been good to Jerry Savelle, and He wants to be good to you as well. And I know many of you could testify and say the same thing. God has been good to me. Why don't you say that right now, just as a testimony to Him. Lift your hands and say, God, you have been so good to me. Now, this is our last time to make this offer, three CDs on Increase God's Way. And then my newest book, Principles of Supernatural Increase. God told me that He's gonna open a new door and bring about supernatural increase to His faithful ones like they've never experienced before. Amen. God wants to bless you. He wants to increase you. So if you'd like to have these products, go to jerrysavelle.org and it'll give you all the information on how to order. 
We're going to begin a brand new series of lessons next week, so be sure and make your plans to join me. And until then, you know your faith will overcome the world.